Master Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. So, neophytes, I hope you all have a good sleep and awaken ready to continue tonight. For what are the weekends for, if not drinking and telling stories? But as you drift to sleep, remember this. You are the seeds of our future, but without the nourishment of the past, you will wither. Ciao for now. And so, it is just you and me then, Heinrich. Now, you wanted to hear about Blood Bowl then? Yeah, yeah, please, tell me more. I love a bit of gaming, as you know, especially Gvat Pai, but uh, I do not know anything about this uh, Blood Bowl. It sounds intriguing. Ah, well, I'll try and keep this brief, as my eyelids are starting to droop too. But, in essence... It's a non-traditional board game. Something that my wife got me into, as it happens. It's part of something she calls the hobby, and is very popular with a number of the women folk here in Tobaro. She is actually away this weekend, playing in a tournament with some of her clubmates over in Upper Alteza at an underground fight club, as they call it, although it's just an old cellar in the tower of uh, Baronessa Maria Davanzo. Oh, really? I can't believe you let her go, what with the uh, Skaven occupation and all. I couldn't believe that they were still organising games. But, honestly, it's like an addiction. They just can't stop playing. Danger be damned. And it's all she ever talks about with her girlfriends. But, but... I am getting ahead of myself. Blood Bowl is a game written, designed and produced by a cabal of artisans in the affluent district of Alteza, who call themselves the Workshop of Games. They make all sorts of, um, well, something they call war games. They use little miniature models to represent the combatants and their army, and then fight against each other. It really is a strange niche, but has grown in popularity over the 40 or so years that the Cabal has been in existence. However, it's mostly played by women, and it's very unusual for someone like me, a man, to be involved in the hobby, as it requires both free time during the day to paint all the little figurines, and also get together to play games. Most of the people I've met in the hobby have been spinsters and widows, truth be told. Most folk are too busy working during the day, and most married women are too laden down with hearth, home and offspring to look after to take an interest. Fortunately, our work here in the tavern means we both tend to have a good few hours free most afternoons. I do get a lot of attention from the other hobbyists for being a 
male in a female-dominated pastime, though. Mostly very positive, I have to say, although some very negative, and occasionally some downright creepy. Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. Now, as it happens, one of my regulars here at the tavern, Old Sparrow, used to work for them and gave me the lowdown on the cabal. They were founded back in 1525 by three very creative individuals. Giovanni Picco, Jan Lewiston, and a Bretonian, Steph Jackson. The workshop began by making wooden boards for more traditional games, but soon became an importer of the famous Bretonian storytelling game Bastilles and Beastmen, before going into creating their own. This prompted Pico to leave, but the remaining pair battled on and the business grew. They even started printing off a monthly pamphlet called Black Giant to promote their enterprise the following year. My wife has a very large stash of these under our bed, by the way. By the end of the decade, the workshop began something called Hovel Miniatures in the forge next door. Hovel produced all the metal miniatures used in the Cabal storytelling and tabletop war games. During the 1530s, they went from strength to strength, setting up little distributors all across the empire and even further afield. Believe it or not, I even saw an independent vendor, let's call them, down by the docks on one of the eastern ports of distant Cathay. Ah, yeah, yeah, you did say you'd been there earlier. Ah, yes, it was one of a number of uh, exotic destinations that I uh, went to during my time on the Ava Phantom. Perhaps you can tell me a little bit about uh, Cathay. It sounds extremely enigmatic. Another tangent. <laughs> sure, why not? But just a quickie, as sleep is overtaking me. Ah, but of course. I myself cannot say no to a quickie, it has to be said. Oh, uh, well, anyway. Past the World's Edge Mountains and far away to the east, there lies the incredibly ancient and powerful Grand Café the largest nation in the world, and the great bulwark against the forces of chaos. It is said that it is ruled over by the offspring of the eternal celestial dragon emperor and his wife, the moon empress, to each of whom many rumours and stories are attached. Its military is as powerful as it is mysterious. Gigantic terracotta statues imbued with preternatural life defend Cathay against the sea of chaos that crashes against their great bastion's doors. Sorcerers, within whose veins the blood of dragons flows, wield esoteric power drawn from the magical lore of opposing yet harmonious magic known as yin and yang. And... Legions upon legions of troops of every calibre, drawn from the hundreds of tribes that the Celestial Dragon Emperor commands, march in lockstep against their foes. I even hear tell of the use of flying machines, much as the dwarves here in the Old World use. 
behind all of this, powerful yet ancient black powder artillery roar with fire and tears into the ranks of their enemies. For black powder was an invention of Cathay in ancient times. Oh, and this will duly feature in the story of the rise and fall of Lamia as it happens, but I will reveal more about all of that in due course. Most of the tales of Cathay I have heard concern two of the children of the great celestial emperor, Zhao Ming, the Iron Dragon, ruler of the provinces in the west, and also Lord of Shangyang, and Miao Ying, the Storm Dragon, ruler of the northern provinces, and commander of something known as the Great Bastion. The Celestial Dragon Emperor himself rules over Grand Cathay in name, but apparently spends all of his time in the Celestial City high above Wei Jin in contemplation with the Moon Goddess, and is more akin to a god than a mortal monarch. In point of fact, he is older than most of the gods, for he even predates the coming of the great interferers, the old ones, and their meddling with the place of our world in the heavens. Anyway, I think that will do for now. I hope that little teaser has wet your palate just enough, Heinrich, for we will return to a history of cafe in the future. Oh, yeah, yeah, it most certainly has. But uh, please forgive my interjection and uh, get back to the story at hand. Thank you. And so, back to the workshop it is then. By 1541, the two founders had left, their pockets lined with gold, and one of their underlings, Tona Kelvi, took over. The workshop then really put all of their efforts into their two most popular war games. Warhammer, man on man, and Warhammer 2000, also known as a Warhammer 2K. And the change of direction was a great success. Ah, so what are these two games then? And what about this Blood Bowl? Ah, well, Warhammer Man on Man, or Mom, as we tend to call it, is set in a bizarre alternate reality that resembles our world, but it is only populated by humans. What? What a bizarre concept. It sounds like some uh, children's fairy tale. Ah, indeed. But that's not all. There's also no magic. None whatsoever. And no monsters. No undead. And no demons, even. By the gods, that sounds ridiculous. Who could have imagined such a thing? Ah, I know. That was my first reaction, too. But honestly, it's fascinating. It all happens during something called the Renaissance. And you have strong countries with strange names like Spain and Portugal, who are kind of like West and East Estalia, as well as France, who reminds me of Britonia, but uh, much less flamboyant. My wife plays a piratical island faction called England, which is located off the mainland. Ah, so like Ulsvanzin. Uh, no. But anyway, a lot of fighting happens in their equivalent of Lustria, too, as well as their version of the Southlands. 
Indeed, a faction I myself collect are called the Ottoman Empire, who have a uh, passing resemblance to the armies of Araby. They've recently released a uh, sister game to it called Warhammer Age of Napoleon that has moved the timeline forwards, but there has been an uproar from some of the old guard. The new game is all ranks and flanks compared to the uh, free movement of the original, and many have complained about its unrealistic movement restrictions, as well as the addition of a newfangled templates and special dice called scatter and artillery dice to the game, which they claim is simply a money grab. Another complaint was the complete change in the aesthetics between the old and new, so you can't use many of your older models in the new game. And the uniforms are all very different, as are many weapons, and you have to put them on square bases, which has caused an outrage. I even heard of uh, one lady in Midland who melted down her whole army in protest. Their other big seller, Warhammer 2000, is far less controversial. It's set in the far future of the 21st century, in the same reality as Warhammer Man on Man. They have bizarre weapons and machines, and fighting takes place between the marines of a belligerent global empire known as the States. Fighting against a variety of rather, if I say so myself, underpowered factions as the uh, world around them faces environmental annihilation. The story behind it is uh, all very much uh, like a sandbox, leaving players to go and do as they please. There is, however, a specialist version predating the, uh, well, that current timeline known as the Hitler heresy. And this has a lot more grittiness, direction and a fixed timeline and campaigns to play through. Although the rules are a little clunky. Anyway, alongside these more popular games sits Blood Bowl. Now this is the game that caught my initial attention as soon as my wife mentioned it. She described it as a fun two-player game for anyone with an interest in gratuitous violence, but with rules. I could not help but give it a go after that. Ah, yeah, yeah, I liked the sound of that too. Well, Blood Bowl was the creation of a gentleman, a rarity in gaming, as I mentioned, uh, apart from the uh, three founders of the Cabal. Anyway, it was the uh, creation of a gentleman called Jervis Jonsson, who I had the pleasure of meeting once when he came to the tavern. He had a luxurious head of long blonde hair and an extremely high-pitched voice, but whose falsetto singing, for he was prone to burst into song at the drop of a hat, was truly moving. One of the benefits of being a uh, eunuch, I suppose. I heard he uh, finally retired from the gaming business earlier in the year, as it happens, to pursue performing full-time. Anyway, he said he came up with the idea for the game back in 1536, and they released it the following year. The premise is that, back in ancient times, a ritualised way of conducting war between tribes was created and dedicated to a god 
called Nuffle. It took place in a great big arena and used a strangely shaped object that looks like a cannonball that has been pinched at either end and stretched. We then skip forward many thousands of years to about a century before the present day in the game. There was a battle between the dwarves and orcs. The usual fare, but the two groups stumbled across one of these ancient arenas and found an intact copy of the rules of engagement for this ritual combat. One of the dwarves translated the ancient tome and then the two armies used the rules to settle their conflict. And from that, Blood Bowl was born, completely replacing traditional combat across the old world. So the game is playing this ritual combat then? Exactly. In Blood Bowl, you take the role of something called a coach, kind of like the uh, general of an army who is in charge of a cohort of warriors called players. And you take it in turns to move these players to represent the contest between the two teams in an arena known as a playing field. Like more traditional games, the board contains a grid of squares overlaid over this uh, playing field. Each team is attempting to score points by entering something called the opponent's end zone by a player who is in possession of the ball. So what is this end zone and what are these uh, points you speak of? Ah, yes, sorry, fell into some of the uh, jargon there. The end zone is kind of like uh, the sacred ground of the defending team. If the ball is taken into it by an enemy, it becomes befouled. And the team that did so gains favour in the eyes of the god Nuffle. This favour is what is known as points. Ah, I see. Well, that makes more sense. But uh, where is the blood, though? Are these players armed? Well, some are, but it is kind of against the rules. The blood is really as a result of uh, good old fisticuffs between opposing players as they fight over who has control of the ball. Ah, well, I do like the sound of that kind of a rough and tumble. Ah, well, yes. And obviously it is easier to get to the end zone once you've broken and maimed all of the opposition. Although there is a representative of the god called the ref or referee who has the power to banish overly violent players to try and prolong the games beyond the first few minutes. Much to the chagrin of ogre coaches, but much to the relief of halfling coaches. Oh, so the teams are based on real races, then? Well, yes. All the denizens of the old world and beyond get a look in. But uh, I'll just touch on a few more details and then I'll leave it at that, I think. Within each team, which normally numbers between 11 and 16 players, there are specific roles that each of the players can be assigned. These are known as blockers, blitzers, throwers, catchers, runners, and linemen. But uh, I won't go into uh, too much detail here. The best way to learn and understand is to play. However, the most fun part of the game is linked 
games. You can play just、uh, traditional one-off games if you like, but the real fun is when you link games together, with the result of each game affecting the next. This they call league play. In league play, players can improve and learn new skills in addition to suffering wounds or even dying. The teams too can get stronger by hiring new staff, such as cheerleaders, as they're called, who are a bit like、uh, camp followers, or、uh, assistant coaches, wizards, cooks, and apothecaries. There are even mercenaries for hire. Some are called star players for some reason. This kind of play really draws you in, and、uh, the current game is in its fourth version. And is very much built on league play, in my opinion. With each version, the quality of the miniatures, gameplay, and rules has increased. It's a great game, honestly. Well, Master Tavernkeeper, you have、uh, piqued my interest. When do I get to play? Excellent. Well, next time Old Sparrow comes over, please join us for an introductory game. Ah, yeah, yeah. I would love to. Well, with that, I think I will be retiring to bed. We shall reconvene tonight and finish the tale of the rebellion against Nagash and the fall of Lamia, the tale of Luther Harkin, and then finally back to your own tale of the return voyage of Marco Colombo and his ascension to become the merchant prince of Trantio. Well, until tonight, Heinrich, sogni d'oro. Ah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, and. Sweet and golden dreams to you too. I do at least know that one Thailand phrase.